Let me say as I start this lesson tonight that I want to approach it in all tenderness and kindness and love. It's a subject that is heavy on a lot of people's hearts. And dealing with our first principles doctrine throughout the remainder of the year, hopefully I can continue to bring those lessons to you on Sunday evenings. This is one I feel that we need to approach. Now, when you hear what the title is or what the question I'm going to ask is, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, that's not really a first principle. And I think you'll understand why I'm saying that in just a couple of minutes when I give you some definitions. But with first principles, we have to understand we've got to go back to the Bible. We've got to understand what was meant in the times of the first century. We have to understand what Jesus Christ meant when he said, I will build my church. We have to understand what was meant on that day of Pentecost when Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. We have to understand that we do have first principles. With that being said, as I said, I do want to approach this in loving and kindness because I do know that some people may be offended by the lesson. I hope that if you are, that we can discuss these items later. My question I have to ask in the title of the lesson, what denomination are you? What denomination are you? Do you ever get asked that question? I know I do. Just this past week I was working and a friend of mine called me and he was talking to me about something, and he said, by the way, what denomination are you? And he heard some silence. <laughs> How do you answer that question? Well, I think we have to look at the Bible in order to answer that question. Because when we are asked that question, or we know that we deal with people in the world with that particular question in mind, I'm not real sure there's an understanding of what that means. We're on that subject in our Wednesday night Bible study class in our young Christian living class. And when I asked those younger folks... Last week, if they knew what denomination was, they didn't really have an answer for it. So I thought, well, you know what? If they don't have an answer, we might not have one either. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about denominationalism. I want to talk about where we stand with that in the church. First off, I want to define it for you. <clears throat> I'm not sure where the coin comes from on this first definition. You type into Google now and it gives you a definition. It doesn't say where it comes from. A recognized autonomous branch of the Christian church. A religious group, sect, cult, movement, body, branch, persuasion, order, school, church. A Christian denomination. A group or branch of any religion. The formal definition is a name or designation, especially one serving to classify a set of things. The action of naming or classifying something. Denomination of oneself. A religious group usually including many local churches, often larger than a sect. That one comes from dictionary.com. So we can see here that we can define, when we look at the words that we understand, we know what a sect is. It's a division, right? We know what, what even is called a cult. We know what a cult is. It's a division, a group of people. Now, I use the example in our Wednesday night class of, of, of money. You know, we have a $1 bill, a $5 bill, a 10 a 20 Those are four different denominations. They're divisions, right? They're divisions of the whole. All right? Now you may think, well, where's he going with this? <laughs> I want to tell you where I'm going with this. That word, according to Merriam-Webster, did not exist before the 15th century. Denomination. <laughs> think about that. That word did not exist. So how in the world can we look at the church and we say, well, yes, a denomination is a religious group of people that follow a certain sect, a certain group of beliefs, a certain ideology. 
Let's look a little further. Definition of division. One of them anyway, there's many. One of the parts or groupings into which a whole is divided or is divisible. And that makes sense with money, right? When we take a whole of money and we divide it up, you know, a $100 bill is our whole, and we divide it up into ones, fives, tens, twenties. We divide it up into things that we can count. That's the definition of division. The condition or an instance of being divided in opinion or interest. You see how closely those two different definitions are between denomination and division? It's kind of scary, isn't it? When we think about that, and I'm going to get into some Bible text in a minute and show you why it's dangerous that we have those definitions like that. That they are that close. I'm talking the denomination definitions here, divisions here, and they almost merge together. Let's talk about it. Some people think that you shouldn't talk about things like this. Some people might call me an anti-denominationalist. I'm glad they do. And we're going to look at some Bible text to show why. If you would, turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Let's look at what Jesus had to say about this. There again, keep in mind, this word does not exist in the first century. Jesus said in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, when we look at the whole there, the whole is, is we are all in the Father. We are all in the Son. That's the whole. Jesus said, I pray that they're all one. What about when we look at Romans 16, verses 17 and 18? That verse is used very seldom these days, but when it's used, it's very serious. That passage is. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, Paul says, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Then I can't help but think about 1 Corinthians on the same page in my Bible. Chapter 1, verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now watch this. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Now, on some of the religious materials that I look at sometimes in social media world or the internet or whatever, there's a little picture going around. And it, it surfaces ever so often. And that little picture demonstrates this concept of 1 Corinthians 10 through 12. And it shows four men, and one's got a little bubble. You know how the cartoons are, I am of Paul. And one says, I am of Cephas. And one says, I am of Apollos. And one says, I am of Christ. And then they mimic that picture right below it. And you know what it says? I am a Baptist. I am a Methodist. I'm a Pentecostal. 
I'm a Christian. Can you see that? It's almost like that Paul was writing that to today's time. We know he was writing it to the Corinthians though. We know that he was writing it in an anti-denominational environment. Now turn the page over to chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. Verses 4 through 7. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one I planted? Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You see, it's not about the person. It's not about the person that they learned under. And that's where a lot of these things come from. Now, we're not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to stand up here and pick on any particular quote-unquote denomination. Okay? We can have classes on those sometime. Brian has uh, done that in his uh, teenage class, I believe. Y'all discussed some, some denominational beliefs and doctrines. Uh, we're probably going to approach some of those in our Wednesday night class. I have books that show histories of denominations. And when you look at those histories, you're going to find out real quickly but they all have beginning dates. They all have beginning dates. Where does our beginning start in the church? The church of Christ? We're going to look at that a little bit more in detail in a little bit, but I want to think to the next step. The next, you know, we, for years, for years and years and years, I've heard people from, from the Lord's church, the church of Christ, say, well, we're non-denominational. Well, you know what? That, that's, that's become a buzzword over the years, but guess what's happening now? A lot of the folks in the denominational world want to shed that, that mantra being a denomination. So now what are they doing? They're calling themselves non-denominational. You've got the community churches that call themselves a non-denominational. You've got the, the uh, churches that have left their, their grouping and have become whatever their name may be, the church at something, the church at, and there's no, there's no affiliation because they want to separate themselves. They've kind of gotten it part right, but it's kind of tough for us to say that the church of Christ now is non-denominational because they have created their own denomination inside of a denomination. They still have these rules and these guides and things like that. And folks, that's what denominations are. Denominations have a higher authority on earth that they answer to. I can name a few just to, to, to talk about. When I go towards uh, that area I like in Florida, we drive by the big southeastern headquarters. I believe it's the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Huge building on the left-hand side. That's where they function. You've got the Southern Baptist Convention that, that governs a lot of the area's Baptist church and their doctrines. You've got the Methodist, uh, I can't remember what they're called now, but they have, they have their leadership roles. And of course we know in the Catholic environment, they have a whole list of people in lines of authority. Folks, I'm going to tell you, non-denominational <laughs> shouldn't have all those things. But they do. They do. And it's a shame. So I want to spend the rest of the time talking about what we should be in the church of Christ. And that is pre-denominational. Because if the word denomination didn't even come into existence until the 1500s, folks, if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, as John 4, 23 and 24 tells us, we've got to follow what's in this book right here. This was written before the 15th century. 
And these words did not change. Some of them may have changed in meaning just a tad bit, and, and that's why we have some translation differences sometimes. But every once in a while, we, we run across some translations that just don't get it. <laughs> they want to put their own words in there. Those are called paraphrases. You have to be careful there. But when we look at it and we see that pre-denominationalism is where we need to be based on what the Bible says. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You know the verse. I probably don't even have to turn there to it. You know what it says. Jesus was standing there with His disciples and He asked them, Who do men say that I am? And some, some told him that they thought he was Elijah. And, and some said others. And, and John the Baptist. And, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered. Y'all know it. Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. And what did Jesus say? Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And that Hades being death. Death will not prevail against that church. And we know that Christ, when he died, <laughs> death didn't prevail. The church was established. All right, so I've, I've brought a little illustration up here. I was going to copy these off and hand them out, but what I'm going to do with it, I figured I'd get in trouble with the, with the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> the church that Jesus died for, okay? Now, I just wrote that. It's just a piece of paper, okay? I didn't find a Sharpie. I had a highlighter. The church that Jesus died for, Ephesians 5, verse 25, the one that he gave his blood for, Acts 17, 11, and purchased with his own blood. That's what we want to be a part of, right? The church that Jesus died for, right? Okay, well, here it is, right? This paper represents the church that Jesus died for. So about the third century, the Roman Catholics decided they wanted to have their own denomination or division. They wanted to come up with their own set. So Rebecca would have killed me if I'd give everybody one total to tear pieces off, wouldn't you? <laughs> so now we've got the Catholic division over here in the year 300, somewhere around there, that's, that's divided themselves. Okay, They've split off from the church. And then later on down the road, 15th century, you've got Martin Luther. And then you've got the people that followed him. And Martin Luther had a good idea. He was approaching a reformation. He wanted to get back to what the Bible said. And then, you know he nailed the 95 Thesis on the wall on the door of the church there. He didn't want people to follow him. Martin Luther did not want people to follow him, but we know what the result is, the Lutheran church, right? So let's, let's find another piece here. Let's tear away from that church. Okay? Now we've still got the church here, right? It's still here. But then come along about the 1800s, and here comes another one. And then another one. This paper's not tearing very well. And then another one. So now we're down to all these different divisions and all these different denominations, but look what's still here. The church that Jesus built. It's not, it's not gone away, has it? All right, now we've got all these over here that we're looking at. Now, as we look at those, then you have the people that have kind of wanted to separate themselves from that, and guess what? They've become non-denominational, right? Then you've got people in the church who have decided that, well, you know, we want things to be a little different. I'm talking about the Lord's church. They want things to be different. They don't, they don't quite like it anymore. They want to have instrumental music, for an example. 
So they pull themselves aside too. Now they still wear the name, but they pull themselves aside and divide themselves and they become a separate, if you will, denomination. Then you've got the ones that remain in the church. They're not really separating themselves as a denomination, but I want you to think about this. I'm going to tear one more in half and I'm going to show you that <clears throat> these are the folks that are, that are in the church, but they're not in the church. The folks that have not given their life over to Christ. So, so they're over here too. And then, of course, you've got those that have given their life to Christ and they fell away. So they kind of end up falling over here too. Now you have all these different divisions of this piece of paper that started out as one, right? It was one whole piece of paper. It was the church that Jesus built. The church he died for. The church he poured out his blood for. And I'm going to leave that there for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. You know the verses. You know what they say. One hope, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Right? We've got seven ones there that are listed. I'm going to read them to you in whole. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, I don't see a stack of one over here. I see a stack of many. I see one here. What about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? When Paul talks about there the body, the body being many members, and we talked about that a little bit this morning, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Now, if there was ever a natural division, right there it would be, wouldn't it? The Jews and the Greeks. But there's not. Paul says we're all one. We've set that aside. Galatians 3 and 28 tells us that as well. There are neither Jew nor Greek nor bond nor free, nor male nor female. We're all one. There is no such a thing as a division in the body. Whether slave or free, he says, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Now, Paul goes on to explain that, and I'm not going to get into the full text of it, but it goes through verse 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. But think about the situation there. The Corinthians, we've seen now three times where Paul has kind of hammered into their heads, don't divide. Don't separate. So here we are as a world, 1,500 years later, we want to come up with this name called denominations. I say we as a world, I'm being collective in a group, people. And we decide that we know better than God, or man does, decides that he knows better than God. So I want you to think about Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the church was fully established. You can't get any earlier than that. And any church that was built after that is not the church that Jesus built. Verse 40, it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now who's the them? That's the apostles. That's the disciples that were, were there. They were all together in oneness. 
And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions of goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you had nothing else but Acts chapter 2 to read, you can't get all these denominations. You can't get all these divisions because it says they were added to the church. What church? Remember back in Matthew chapter 16? Christ said, I will build my church. Now, I've mentioned many times it's not about the name on the outside of the building. It is, in, in effect, about the name because that is where people understand where, where, where we are. All right, We are the pre-denominational church. We're the church of Christ. So it does matter about the name, but a lot of times that name is abused and it's not worn correctly. And that's a shame. But now I want you to think about this. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. I mentioned it once this morning already. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So now we've got all these folks over here. But Jesus is saying, All these folks said to me, Lord, Lord, but they can't enter. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, I want you to think about this real quickly. You have denominational friends. I have denominational friends. We know what most of them practice in theory. We may not have ever, and some of you may have come out of denominations. Do they not do good works? Absolutely. Do they not say, we love you, Lord? Absolutely they do. Do they not sing songs of praise? Yes. Do they not read from the Bible? Yes. It may not be a solid translation sometimes, but they read from it. Do they not do exactly what Jesus was saying here? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Yes, they've done those things. They're good people. But that doesn't get it. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now I want you to look at one other passage right there. A few verses up, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by in it. See, here's my many right here. All these that are listed here, unfortunately. Now, I'm not judged, okay? That's Jesus Christ. But I have to look and see what he says. He says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who will find it. Now, I listened to something yesterday on the Internet. <clears throat> it was an interview with Larry King and, and Joel Osteen. And I know people think I pick on Joel Osteen, but... If the man would preach the truth, I'd love him. <laughs> I love him anyway, but if, if he preached the truth, it'd be great. But he and Larry King had this discussion, and Larry King asked him, he said, so are you saying that Islamic people and Jews, that, that, that they're not going to go to heaven? 
You know what he said? Well, I, I just don't know about that. Larry King said, no, wait a minute. You're telling me that, that, that you believe that the Bible says that exactly what I just read here. And Joel Osteen says, I, I, just, I just can't say that. Folks, he don't have to say it because Jesus Christ said it. And that's what I mean by I'm not the judge and jury. That's Jesus Christ. But I know what to be in the member of this church, the church that Jesus Christ died for, I have to follow what we've looked at today. I have to follow Acts 2. I have to see that it says that they will be added to the church and not just a church. The church. What church? The church of Christ. There's none other name. Romans 16, 16. The churches of Christ salute you. There's no other church named in the Bible. Now there are some other names that can be placed in, in effect. I, you know, I... Paul calls the church the way. <laughs> Jesus did too, if you think about it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that it is the church of God. Now, there's a difference there because the church of God can be the church of Christ. It should be the church of Christ. But when we look over here and there's a denomination that calls themselves the church of God and they look to man for their decree and doctrine, that's not the church of God that's mentioned in the Bible. But you never find any of these things out there that people want to name themselves. What you do find is Jesus saying, that's not the way. Friends, I hope I have not offended anybody tonight, but if I have, it's the Word of God, not me. I can boldly stand up here and say that because it's not my place to say what's right. It's Jesus Christ. And He said it, not me. Tonight, if you've, if you've thought about things that are not right in your life I have no doubt you believe in God you wouldn't be here I have no doubt that you love the Lord you wouldn't be here I have no doubt you love your fellow man your fellow Christian that's sitting beside you maybe you wouldn't be here but maybe your love for God has grown dim maybe your love for those fellow men and women out there that, that, that are away from the truth has grown weary our obligation is to tell others about Christ. His gospel is what saves us. There's nothing else on this earth that can save us but His gospel. And I'm glad we have it. Tonight, if you've not been baptized into the gospel of Christ, it tells you what to do. In Romans 6, 1 through 6, we must die to the old man, must be buried in baptism, and rise up as a new, new creation. It's important that you consider that. We don't do it to become a member of the Elkins Church of Christ. We do it because the Bible says that's how we are saved. And the Lord adds us to the church, the Church of Christ. That's what it's for. Most of you tonight that are here have been baptized. But maybe you fell wayward. Maybe you've separated yourself from God. Maybe you don't understand the, the critical point in what Jesus said that the way is narrow. Friends, I, I don't want to see you leave here tonight if you're in that situation. I, I wouldn't want to leave here tonight in that situation. I've mentioned several times there's a, there's a line between saved and lost. It's on the sign out there. Are you saved or are you lost? We know exactly what it takes to be saved. We also know it takes being faithful to the end. Revelations 2 verse 10. 
That's how we get the crown of life. That's how we enter heaven. That's how we live our lives. Friends, don't, don't go to your last days and not be found faithful. Please. The invitation is offered. You need to respond. Why don't you come? We'll stand and sing.